Achras Minyan, a David who has been going to Rutgers and is pursuing uh, is pursuing a, a wonderful uh, education and hopefully a career and a Parnosa in a very wonderful way. Um, here, his mother, uh, Diana, has donated today's shear, has dedicated the shear and donated the money for the, for the food that we are all eating here, here, in memory of her father, who is Osher ben David, Oscar Borichin. Um, last year, um, and he died, Ches Ches ben Tovshinai in Vov, which means this is his fourth year at site. Uh, last year, I had a pasuk uh, in mind for him, which had to do with his business sense and his sense of doing things that were successful and encouraging his family to be successful, as he was. Um, this year, and that pasuk you can see there too, pasuk in Yeshaya. This year, I've chosen a pasuk in Yirmiyah, and uh, it's a pasuk that you don't expect from Yirmiyah. Sometimes Yirmiyah is somewhat the, the Navi has a lot of asharis and and humrus, a lot of passion and anger about how bad Klal Yisrael is, and actually this is a little bit of a setup to a similar nevuah, but this Pesach itself is, Aho Hashem Elohim, in wonderment, Aho, can you imagine God, think about that God can, can actually, Yirmi is setting up the idea that God is responsible, of course, for creating a system of Scharvonish, and that what we do counts, and that our averos and mitzvahs uh, are relevant to the world. And God, and Yermia sets this up by appealing to God as the creator. That God is not only the creator, and that's what it says here, that you created Shemayim Baaretz with incredible power and, of course, the mind that makes everything work so, like clockwork, so beautifully and perfectly. And obviously, with your outstretched arm, plus a word that we know from Itzias Mitzrayim, which also gets spoken about by Yermia, will you If we believe in God as creator, then we have to buy into God as our God, the God that gave us life, and the God that expects Torah and mitzvahs from us. So this is a Pasuk, I think, that's a, a, a schus for Osher, Aleph and Reish. And I think it's a nice setup to the topic of of the subject of today. So we thank Diana. We only hope to see Nachas from all your children and, and your daughter, who is, I know, expecting here in, uh, in, in, in New York. And Usher should have Nachas and Ganeid. But I think the Basic really, the idea of, 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 of responsibility, uh, is very relevant um, today when we speak about, and this is still within the Shloshim, still in the 30 day period of the death of. And we actually dedicated a, a day of learning for him uh, last year, earlier this year, in Tavshinai and Tess. But unfortunately, Natsko Arelim es Mutsokim, that the uh, the Koychus and Shamayim took Arab Again, Paisik Ador, Shmario Yosef, Nisim Benochem, Meir Karelitz. And although I. <laughs> Uh, I can't say that that he was uh, someone that I didn't know about because um, for the last um, 25 years, approximately, uh, his svarim have been incredibly important, and we're going to talk about them. But he was a person that was not as well as well known, and I think it's worthwhile to spend today's tashir of, if not being maspid him, 
although you could consider it a hesped, but I would say more giving us a, an appreciation of who he was, what he built, and how we can learn from him. Um, as you know, um, my knowledge of Rav Nissen Karelitz, although I'd heard his name before, came primarily from his Sefer Chutshoni. Uh, it's interesting that that Sefer, when we talked about Rav Steinman being 60 before he started printing the Svarm of Ayelos HaShachar, um, it's interesting that Rav Karelitz, although he was a well-known personality, he was someone that was the Rosh Kail of Chazanish, <laughs> at the age of 30 approximately, after the Chazanish is Ptira. Uh, he was born in 1926. The Chazanish died in 1955. He became the Rosh Kail of Kail Chazanish, which was probably the most prestigious Kail in the world. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But he ran the Kail um, and was officially the head of the Kail, although he gave a lot of the, the last couple of years, he gave it over to his son-in-law and, and children. But he was the Rosh Kail of Kail Chazanish, and he had been the, and we're going to talk about the significance of the Besdin that he established in 1968, when he was only, again, do the math, he was only in his early 40s. Um, he was on the Mayetzes G'dayle Atera when he was 50, Rav Shach uh, pushed him to do that. And so he's been involved in Eretz Yisrael, a very well-known name. But I, and many people here in America, only got to know about him when, after, when he had a heart attack, we talked about Rav Shach's change in life after his heart attack. Uh, Rav Karelitz also had a very serious heart attack when he was 70, about 25 years ago, 24 years ago. And he followed, we'll talk about how he followed the doctor's orders very precisely. Um, but he also decided, since God allowed him to live and get through the difficult heart attack, that he was going to work on publishing Svarim. Um, he had a chavrusa for many years, Rav Hochman, Chaim Arya Hochman, who was a very talented writer and um, had written a number of Svarim. And he had been Rav uh, uh, Karelitz's chavrusa uh, every single day for about 30 years. Uh, and Rav Karelitz turned to Rav Hochman and others who had over again, remember, this is about 1996 or so, uh, he had been the Rosh Kailu and been giving shiurim as a Magid Shir since his early thirties, since his late 20s. So he had years and years of shiurim and people had notebooks. And what occurred was a sort of a, a, a unlike, let's say, Rav Avadia and other Machabrim who just were incredibly gifted in terms of their writing and their talent. Baba Chereve, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago as well. Rav Karelitz knew that he needed some help. And through from Hochman and all his Talmidim, uh, they went over the notebooks and the shiurim, and they started publishing, starting, they had Hilchas Nida one volume first, and then Hilchas Shabbos, areas that, Hilchas Ribis, uh, areas that the Jewish people really need to know about. And they produced these incredible svarim. Uh, these svarim that were clear and organized and dealt with questions beyond, in other words, let's say, for, for example, in Hilcha Shabbos, you can almost take the Chutshani, and you probably see it being quoted uh, uh, in the uh, in the Dirshu edition. They quote it almost all the time. And the reason they do is because the Sefer was built for someone to use knowing the Mishnah Bura and beyond. And it was basically built as a way, you know, even though today every you know you have the Piskei Alochas and Piskei Chuvas, um, from Rav, um, Rav, Rav Bunim, um, 
uh, Rubenstein, I think, right, the Piskei Chuvas, the, uh, the Chutzani was meant for someone who had knows, knew the Mishnah Bura well to go and take it to the next step in terms of modern questions and modern Shilas. Uh, and plus, a little more analysis than maybe you wouldn't even see in the Mishnah Bura. So it, it, it's, a, it's a very well-structured sefer, and it was built on the ideas of many, many years from uh, Rav, Rav Karelitz. And it really, unlike uh, his uncle, the Chazonish, uh, who he many times quotes and gives Masoras of, the Chazonish is for him, I think every single shtickle Chazonish I've ever learned needs probably to be done about five or six times until you really understand what he wants. Um, he was a very gifted, elegant writer, the Chazonish, but he expected you to really spend the time to review and understand what he was trying to get at. Rav Karelitz actually spent a couple of uh, important months when the Chazanish had had his heart attack, where he was helping the Chazanish write his sefer. But the Chutzani is almost the opposite. Uh, even though it reflects the shita of halach of the Chazanish, its style is very straightforward. Any shiva bocher, any decent uh, high school shiva bocher beyond, is able to use the sefer and really understand the ideas from its source without, which you sometimes get in Chochem Avadia, overwhelming amount of sources. He doesn't do that. He really is, is like the Chazan Ishu, was um, very much against um, all the new Kisveyad and Svarim that came out. He was suspicious, as were many, that who knows who really, you know, who knows what sort of inserts might have popped up in these books. Uh, Rav Karelitz also is pretty, uh, he, he, he was very makbid that the Svarim should reflect the standard Rishonim and Achronim. Um, unlike, again, with Kocham Avadya and others, um, you sometimes get, um, you sometimes get Svarim that you've never heard and a lot of lengthy Arichus in them. Uh, the Chutzani doesn't have that, um, and, uh, of course, Rav Karelitz himself said that many of the notes that were added to it were not his. It was his chavrusas and other Talmud HaChachamim that went over it. So it's really a group effort. The Sefer, in other words, is a Sefer that's really, I think, a model of how halacha can work. We had a, a Dafyomi yesterday. I don't know if those of you that are doing Dafyomi, you might remember. The Gemara says that, uh, that um, Rabbi Shmov and Rabbi Yaisi, uh was told by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi that there was a certain Talmud Chocham that it was Kedai to know, Rav Chama Barbisa. You might remember that. So Rav Chama Barbisa, yeah, he's an Odom Godel, you should meet him. Well, Rav Shmob Rav Yossi was sort of like his father, Rav Yossi, very tough guy, Rav Yossi Bartachlafta. So Rebbe, who of course was the leader of Klal Yisrael, was able to bring Chama Barbisa to Yishmob Rav Yossi. So uh, Chama Barbisa shows up to Yishmob Rav Yossi and he asks him, um, well, um, uh, what do you want to hear? you have a question you want to ask me? So he asked him a certain question, Hilchas Nida. We're going to talk in Hilchas Nida a little bit today, a little bit later, also the Kov the Dafyomi. So Yishmol said to him, Yishmol Brabiesi said to him, well, I can either tell, you want to hear Rebbe Shita, Yehuda Nasi, who's the big macher now, or you want to hear my father Shita? So he said, I'll go with Yehuda Nasi Shita. Tell me what Rebbe Shita is. He said, I can't believe it. You're the one that they say is a big Odom Godel. My father is the Rebbe of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Rabbi Yehuda Rebbe became Rebbe through my father. You should want to hear what my father said. My father, Rebbe, will tell you himself that he doesn't have the he didn't have the doesn't have the head that my father had. So the Gemara says, Chama Rabbi understood that, but Chama Rabbi felt 
that unlike Rabbi Yossi, who was pretty much a lone wolf, Rebbe had Talmud HaKomim around him. He had a kvutz of Rabban, and they were always around with him. They could always learn with and hear and, 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 and finesse and change and alter and come up with tikkunim. And therefore, machadet in shmaitei, the idea becomes even clearer and stronger. I think the same thing, that daf, is really what Rabbi Nisim Karelitz. Rabbi Nisim Karelitz, as the head of the Kehle Chazanish, always involved in learning and teaching, having the best and the brightest around him, allowed... Uh, and you can take a look at Wikipedia and take a look at some of his Talmidim. It's almost a, like, a, like, a, like a stellar list. Um, true, Rabbi Yashiv, of course, had the people who, who learned by him who came to Shiurim. But Rabbi Yashiv is more like the Rambam, like the lone wolf. You know, Rabbi Yashiv is almost like this, this miracle brain that comes out of nowhere. And, of course, you know, we don't hear about the Chavruses of Rabbi Yashiv. Rabbi Yashiv was on his own, this powerful mind. Whereas Rav Nisim was uh, and his even the Hanog of the Bezdin and the Sefer represents his vision and a lot of wonderful Pesachim distinctly from him but the clarity is really from the group learning so in that way I think it's a very important Sefer it's a very important Sefer that represents teamwork it represents a, 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 and really, again, you could argue with some of the achros, you could say, right? But the sefer itself is structured in a way that it's, it's, it's ma'od shimushi. So it's a very important sefer in aloha, and I, 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 I advise people to definitely consult it. Um, why he called the sefer chutshoni, again, they're probably, probably, I didn't do enough research to go through every single introduction. But I think it's, I think it's obvious in some way. Because Shoni, of course, is Nissen, <laughs> Yosef, Shmaryo, right? In other words, Shoni is the letters of Nissen, Yosef, Shmaryo. Um, by the way, there's... Thread, right? uh, uh, so, so Shoni is actually not... More, it's more than a thread. It's a thread with a certain distinct color. A, a crimson color, a very, a very uh, glorious, clear color. Of course, we know that when Zorach was born, right? When Zorach stuck his hand out and the midwives... They, they, they tied around uh, his hand, Shoni. They tried something, it was dyed, and it was so clear that you would see, and that's why his name was Zorach, because it, it shined like the radiant uh, rays of the, like the radiant rays, like the rays of the sun. So Shoni is a, is a distinct color. Of course, that was also the color that the, um, that the uh, spies, that, called, that the spies who came into Eretz Yisrael and Perak Bays of Yeshua, that's where they put on the window of uh, Rachav Azona. That was the, the that was the, the also a rope uh, with the with that cord with that color uh, to indicate uh, that that's what when the when the armies came in of Yisrael that they shouldn't uh, that they that they should leave her and her family alone. Um, and the pasuk really in Shirashirim says Kehut Hashani Sifseisayach Umid Barayach Nova. That was the color of the, the, the color, right? Shani was what was what the that's what was wrapped around the horn of the uh, of the Sar Mishtaleach that of course would become white. But it's interesting again. Um, I understand Shani is his is, is a remez, but what what about Chut Shani? It's like a strange name of a sefer, right? Koyvitz Chuvis Kibutz, right? Chut Shani, an interesting name. I'm going to guess here. I went out on a limb here. I just found it this morning. The Malbim. Which says a beautiful thing. I said the, the Pasuk and Shir Hashirim, Shir Hashirim is all a marshal about Klal Yisrael 
and the Rabbi Shalom about God and us and, 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 and the greatness of the Jewish people and what they can be and the power of their neshama and how the neshama works in the body and creates a loving relationship with God. So on this Pasuk, take a look at what the Malbim says. I just thought it was perfect for Rav Karelitz. His galus masugeho. Let me see if I can make that a little bit bigger. Make that bigger a little bit. There we go. There we go. Uh, might, might have been. None of it has got me a little bit off here. Did I make it too large? Now I can't even see it, right? <laughs> okay, let me make it smaller. I hate when I do that. Okay. How do I make this smaller here? I'm going to make it a little smaller. That's good. Okay. So I just, I'll just read it. The Nisham is like this incredible, powerful engine that has intellectual powers and it, it, it understands things and it, it intuits things. But how do they all project themselves throughout, through speech? And that's what our lips are. Our lips, if say sayach. Your lips are like this scarlet thread, meaning the lips, it's not just the redness of the lips, like the simple shot. Boy, your lips look so red that they look like red thread. The way the Malbim understands it is that the lips, which of course allow speech to, <laughs> to exit from the mouth, from the body, imagine, he says, a scarlet thread, you have a beautiful thread, and then you put all different sorts of diamonds and beautiful jewels on that thread. Even though if you would look at them separately, you couldn't tell how they all fit. You know, one is an onyx, one is a, one is a sapphire, one is gold. They all look differently. But But by using this significant thread... The red of the thread. Somehow that puts these these charms together. Cain, that's what speech is about. Our mind is full of, of ideas and, and, and penetrating thoughts and, and almost holy ideas. What the power of speech and thinking in speech, knowing that we need to talk, allows us to somehow formulate all those incredible things and putting them in a system where it actually comes out beautifully expressed, where the points lead into each other, and you're able, when you listen to the person speaking or listen to or, or read what he's written, you can see the ideas coming together like a chut hashani. In other words, the chut is that, is that thread, but it's that thread that the beautiful points are on, where my marm v'diburim shleimim. So it could be, I'm sure, I don't know if he saw this malbum or not, but I think it's, it really reflects what you need to do to be able to be successful in being a Pisic, and being a, 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 especially a Pisic like Rav who, you know, who was able to paskin on, on areas uh, all over uh, Jewish life. And I think the Sefer does have that quality. We're going to take a look at a, a couple pieces in a minute. Um, as I said, I think... I've talked about the clarity, and I've talked about the honesty. I want to talk about, and I've talked about the humility. I've talked about how, um, I'll tell you one thing about his honesty and humility. Um, in, in 68, uh, he, he set up in his house um, the, the Bezdin. Now, you have to realize, there was only, in Eretz Yisrael, before that, 
there was only we've talked about the Rabbanut and we've talked about the the uh dinim that were present um, throughout the whole Jewish society in Israel. And those Bate Dinim had power, right? It's true, because, because if you didn't listen, they could send the Mishtara, they could send the police to go and, 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 and act on the Psak that was given in the Bezdi. So, and of course, the Rabbonim, who were Rebel Yashiv and others, who were part of the Rabbanut's Bate Dinim, they tried to ensure that any Dayan had to knew his stuff, and the Dayan had to go through a process to become a Dayan. There were exceptions, like I said before, Yashiv was a, he didn't have to go through all the, the hoops to get to where he was. But normally the Dayanim had to learn, had to study, um, they were held responsible, there was a system, there was money, and the money, of course, meant that you felt you were going to get bright people involved if you paid for it. This was part of the government system of Dayanus. And, like I said, the main thing was that there was the fist behind it, because if you didn't listen to the Psak, you'd come down and get put in prison. So every you know, there was the Eidah Haredes, and that, of course, was in Yerushalayim, and they, as you said, the Eidah Haredes, they didn't register anything that was going on, and they felt that it was usher to go to the Rabbanut, and again, despite the fact that Yoshev was there, they had their own business. But other than the Eidah Haredes, which was sort of like outliers... The idea of having a Bezdin was well was unknown. Um, so, but however, the Stipler and others, who was his uh, uncle as well, remember the way it works is the Chazanisha's name is Karelitz. He had two sisters. The Chazanisha's two sisters one one married one married the Stipler, right? Um, Kanievsky. The other one married uh, Tzubelnik. That was actually. Uh, Rav Nissim's father. He changed his name. In order to get Polish citizenship, he took his wife's name. He married Basia, uh, Basia uh, Karelitz, but he was Tzibulnik. You know? Tzibulnik. So, I don't know which... It sounds like an upgrade, anyway. <laughs> but, 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 but Rav Nochem Tzibulnik who actually was a Harusa with Rav Aaron Kotler. He'd been in Slavotka. He'd worked in Chafetz Chaim, in the Yeshiva and Raden. So uh, he changed his name in order to get Polish citizenship. Of course, it makes things confusing. <laughs> Why do you want Polish citizenship? It seemed like at the time it was better to be a Polish citizen than not. I, what? Yes, during after World War One, actually, he changed his name uh, around then. Uh, it was after Reb Nissen was born. It was in the twenties that he changed his name. They made Aliyah. He came in as Karelitz, but he was actually Tzibulnik. His wife was a Karelitz, but he took his Schwer's name. And that's how you have uh, Rav Nisim, is really Tzibulnik Karelitz. But he was, uh, his mother was the Chazanisha's sister. Um, the Stipler, uh, who was his other uncle, Yaakov uh, Yisrael Kanievsky, Zatzal, he felt that it was important to have another type of Bezdin. Um, and although he was only a young fellow, again, he had been Rosh Kailo of Kailo Chazanish, but he's relatively a young person. He was only in his early 40s. He thought it was important, and Rav Karelitz also did, Rav Nisim. He was called Nisim, by the way, because there was, um, it's funny, because there's another Shmario Yosef Chaim Kanievsky. They're both named after the same person, and they both, none of them are called Shmario Yosef, right? Rav Chaim Kanievsky, it's his third name. Right, that's why you take a look at his farm. It says Shin Yudchis. 
Shmario Yosef Chaim. But everyone knows him as Reb Chaim Kanievsky. His cousin, on the other side, again, his first, right, it would be his first cousin, is Reb Nisim Karelitz, that's all. Reb Nisim Karelitz is also Yosef, uh, Shmario Yosef Nisim. So, it's like, uh, it's, right, so he's called Nisim, he's called Chaim. The Shmari Yosef, I don't know, somehow disappears. Uh, he was called Nisim because, according to his father, he almost died after he was born, and there was, uh, um, there was, it was Nisim that was able, uh, to bring him to the bris. So because of that, he wanted to be masked the Shavach of the Rabbi Nisham. So he's called Nisim, which is unusual. It's not, it's not the name you expect from, from the Haredi, the Spitz Haredi of Benebrak. What? But that's where he gets his name. So Rav Nisim was, was spurred on by the stipler to make this Bezdin. Because they needed a Bezdin, first of all, that didn't cost money. One of the things that uh, the stipler and his nephew felt was a problem was that the Dayonim could be on the take. The Dayonim were getting money. Uh, I'm a big fan of the of the Piske Dinim Rabbanot. I read them. I try to get stuff out of them. But many of the Piske Dinim of, of Rabbanim that I've read, some of them have been, some of these Dayonim, not a very small, small amount, have been accused of 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 of, of taking money, of, of being involved, of not necessarily recusing themselves when they should. And there was also an idea that there was so much paperwork involved that the average... Jew had a dintera wasn't inclined to come to such a dintera. You had to go through, and you know, if anybody knows Israel, Eretz Yisrael, Medina Yisrael, you know, they could give, uh, they, they weigh, they surpass even New Jersey and Massachusetts for the amount of incredible, ridiculous red tape that you have to go through in terms of getting from here to there, this tick from that tick, from this office to that office. Again, it's a lot of bureaucracy to give a lot of people jobs, but it's all very confusing, and that filters down into the Bezdin as well. So there were people who weren't quite... The other force was that ultimately, in a way, there was a... Even though Rabbonim were doing it, they wanted something that didn't have the influence of the state. Last week, we spoke about a classic case, the Langer case, right? The Langer case that we spoke about last week was a case where there was pressure from the outside to change Epsach, to overturn Epsach. They wanted a total independent Bezdin. Plus, there was no, uh, in the Bezdin shouldn't be a place where, this was one of the main things, that the people who came to the, uh, to the, to the, to the Bezdin felt that they were dealing with this august, austere authority that they really couldn't say their case to, that they had to come with a, uh, an Arechdin. You take a look at all the cases that are printed in, and I, I've, I've presented them to you, almost every single case comes with a towing and comes with an Arechdin, can you imagine what it's about? You're scared. You're there. The Dayanim are sitting up there. They're on the. You're on the clock. They didn't want any of that. They wanted a a, a place where people could come. And again, originally it was in the uh, it was in, it was in Karelitz's house. <laughs> that's where they had it, and that's where they had the that's where the Bezdin of Bnei Brak, the Bezdin Sedek of Bnei Brak, was set up. The only reason it, what spurred him to move it was the fact that. There was one dinter that was lasting into the night, and Rav Nisim Karelitz's son woke up, and I guess he went towards the kitchen to get a drink of water or something, and he sees 
his rebbe, is <laughs> one of the one of the people who's involved in the din Torah. His teacher in school was his melamed. Was one of the people who was coming for a din Torah, and he asked his father the next day, "Why was my melamed here?" So that's what Nissen understood. We have to separate it, and they went into this uh, very um, small, relatively very small um, uh, building in Bnei Brak. Um, very simple, um, and there Rav Nissen insisted that the Dayanim do not sit higher than anyone else. There is no big bench where you sit up there and the Dayanim are there. Everybody is on one level. Um, and Rav Nisim also insisted that um, he had a very, again, he had the big Talmud HaChachamim. You had to be a, go through a Bechina. You had to know at least, even though it was Chayshin Mishpat Shailas, he felt that you needed to know Arachayim and Yerodea cold before you can become a Dayan on the Bezdin. Because it isn't just about Hilchashchenim, the laws of Nezik. You have to basically have a complete total picture. So, although they weren't paid, most of these people were people he knew from Kajah <coughs> and other places who were men of stellar, stellar um, reputations in terms of their character. And they were Bikiyim in, 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 in Star Mitchell Another thing that 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 he insisted um, was that Rav Nisim and his Bezdin was that the Psokim, be, well, for, there was a report. It's actually uh, attached to the email. You might have seen it. The beautiful article. I had to pay to to download it, but uh, it would probably be worth it. Um, you can see it's from Mishpacha from two thousand, a Hebrew Mishpacha in Eretz Yisrael from two thousand and. Um, Tavshin Ayin Aleph, so 2011. So if you take a look over there, you'll see there's a description of uh, of, the, of a Din Torah that the man observed. And he talks about how, and I can tell you this, since I sit on a bed and how different it is than what even what we do. First of all, Rav Nissen himself um, uh, you know, would ask the precise questions that needed to be asked. When those questions were asked, they sent the day, they sent the um, the ballet din out, and immediately the three dayonim would write up a psak. I can tell you, we take weeks uh, even to write up psakim, and we go back and forth. The three dayonim would write up the psak, almost off, uh, on, 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 they're right there discussing it, and then they would call in the uh, the tzadim and give them the psak right there. Another thing, Rav Nissen was makbed on. He says, the article puts it very nicely, um, that if you take a look in many of these psokim, including some from the Rabbanot that I've been studying over the last couple of months, the, the psokim are written like a safer. The psokim are written like, let's deal with what this question is. This question that has to do with, you know, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry is really the question from this Gemara, and let's take a look at the sources, and then let's move it down to our case. He says it's almost like Rav Nissim complained. They're writing, they're writing their next sefer. They're using the Dayanim. The Dayanim are using the case to sort of write their next book. He says this is not. A, he says it's not a place to write a shtikl Dayan. You write the psak, carts, and you write. Right. There might be certain times you need to add a certain point or two, but it's not about. It's not about writing a, a, a chedushim. And I think in that way it was really again we talk about clarity, honesty, um, and, and and humility. It's really about uh, uh, getting to the point and making sure people are dealt with. One of the things that the Rav Nisim t- told his Dayonim 
uh, I'm sorry, the secretary. He told the secretary, I know it's going to be hard because people are going to come in. He says, the people who are coming to our Kshay Ruach, people who are, who've had difficulty in their lives, it's very important for you to be patient. It's very important, Rav Nisim would say to them, that you need to understand. And even though it's frustrating, they might ask for the thing over and over again, they might come to you and not understand. It's going to be very simple to fill out what needs to be filled out, but you need to have the savlonus. You need to be able to be a savlon and be able to metabol that. Um, what's also interesting is that in his, um, in the makeup of the Dayanim, and this was true even when he was older, uh, was that there was the, the, the people who run the beds that want the, 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 the Dayanim to, to reflect different ages, that they would have not just a, a Reish Bezdin, but it wouldn't just be three old men. They would try to bring in some of the younger Dayanim as well. They wanted the Dine Tirit to reflect uh, sort of like a, 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 a spectrum of understanding and, and, and to have that. Another thing that's Miyuchid, and I heard this from people who were, who were part of that Bezdin, I've spoken to somebody who sits with me in the Dine Tirit in New York, who was Zoha to be part of the... Of, of, now it's become a, a very, very incredible Bezdin. Um, the, um, and it was, uh, I'll tell you a couple more stories in a second, but one of the things was, is that they, they insisted that um, to let each side have its say. In the Rabbanut, but they didn't, um, they really, the Dayanim cut off the, the parties uh, and because there's, there's, you know, they feel there's there's a time limit and get to the point and please, that has nothing to do with anything. Um, Rav Nisim insisted that sometimes, especially if the Tzad is going to lose, that he should have the ability to say his whole point. That at least he had, again, he might not, he might lose in the Psaq. He might not be Makabo the Psaq. But he needs to be able to have his say. Another thing that, 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 that his Dayonim were miyuched in is that they didn't just sit in a in a in a in an office and wait for people to come. If a case reflected something in the community, like for example, Hilchashtenim, you know, um, how far something was, this wall that he's building, this house that he's building is affecting me, um, the way things they would go out there. The Dayonim would go, Rav Nissen himself would go, what? They go on a field trip. And he would go there sometimes with tape measures, and they go and look. And he look and see what was going on. He says it was, it was, it was not unusual to see them going to places where homes and other uh, apartments were being built, where they were coming, because they were shyless people had come up. I'll tell you two of them, which I thought were very unique. One of them had to do with a, um, uh, a person that opened up an ad hoc falafel place in his uh, in his in, in, in the apartment house. So, right? I don't know if it's as good as green chickpea. So I don't know if it's, a, but anyway, so it's in one of the buildings, and 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 the shchenim, the shchenim felt. The fact that there were people there was closed at a decent enough time. It wasn't the noise. It wasn't the people that were coming, but it was the the cooking and the and and, and the and not the smell and the oil 
and uh, all the residue would be rising up and went into their houses. So they actually not only had the smell, but they also had on, on, their, on their ceilings and on their walls, they had the residue of, of, of the oils and stuff that from, from the falafel, from the grease from the falafel place. They invented the ovens outside. <laughs> <laughs> that was outside. So, so the Dayanim took, took a field trip to the house. Dayanim went there and they actually, um, they actually took a took their fingers, and they scraped the 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 residue off of the of the house that the, the towing, and they put it to their mouth, and they said, "Whoop! It tastes like the waffle tech. You can see it." I just thought of a new series we could have, uh, Diane, you know, NCIS or something. That's right. That's right. Or maybe the great, you know, one of these foodie shows, right? They got the other coming. Yeah. What do you think? Is that falafel? Or what do you think that is? Uh, eggplant? But the point is, they were willing to go out there, roll up their sleeves, see what's going on, and not just hear it, right? To take the time and the effort without any pay to go there and see. Another case, which is maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a story that they say, but I think it's true, that 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 there was a, two shchenim that were arguing in the Bezdin. And uh, by the way, let me just show you a picture once we're at it. I want to show you. Uh, I know that I've here's here's Rav Nissen right here. So here he is. This is a very beautiful picture of him. This is uh, Rav Nissen Karel. It's right there. And let me see what I have here. Here's some of the Dayanim that are looking over the uh, looking over some material. And here you see the way they would sit here in the Bezin. Rav Nissim, of course, was hunched over, very quiet person. Um, people would see him in B'nai Brak, barely looking up. Um, and here you see in this left picture, you can see the discussions that are going on. You can see the young and older people. This is one of his grandchildren and other Tamina Chachamim sitting there working things over uh, in the Bezdin. And again, um, yeah, there's Rav Nissim as well. Um, and here you can see them at a Din Torah. Um, and this is here you can see as they're listening so you can imagine so what happened was imagine that's in front of you and you have a shochein who's uh, coming with a taina he says look this man is building his wall it's going to block my view it's going to stop me from having the nachas of having this window uh-huh. so Rav Nisim said to him okay so you claim that it's how, how, what do you claim it's five meters away it's five meters away where he's building the wall uh-huh. So Rav Nissen said to him, so would you take it if it's 15 meters away? If he builds it, if he moves it to 15 meters away, would you be Makabo? He said, no, even 15 meters is too close. Uh-huh. So Rav Nissen said, how about 20? If he would move it to, to 20 meters away, would you accept? 20 I'd accept. He turns to him and says, you're Zoha. He says, I, we went out there yesterday. I saw where you're building it. We measured it. It's 45 meters away is where it is. Wow. So, wow. <laughs> so. <laughs> anyway, the point, the point being is that, anyway, the, right, right, right. Anyway, the point is, is that besides running this business, and then again, I think it's a model of how Again, I've actually been called uh, to be part of a Bezdin in, in Long Island, which is a little bit too far for me to get to, um, which is also built on similar principles where they don't want to charge any money, they don't charge you to come, they don't pay the day <laughs> and, um 
So again, as Chatos Yanimaskir, you know, if I told him, I told him if I lived near Long Island, I would, I would gladly, you know, try to be mishtatif. Um, but again, this really, in a way, you think about it. It's talking really about bringing justice in a proper way. How did he get involved in Gitan? Um, it happened from America, actually. There was a case, because it was supposed to be a bezdin for Mominus. It wasn't supposed to be a bezdin for Gitan. But there was a case that Rav Yitzve, uh from Philadelphia was involved in. And Rav Yitzve, um there was a husband who uh, was, was not willing to, to, to give his wife a get, and it was a very difficult situation. The families were fighting over it. Uh, so Rav Yitzve, uh turned to Rav Shach, uh, for an aid. So Rav Shach, who was like, at that time, the, the god of Eretz Yisrael, Rosh Kabbalah So somehow they were able to get the sides to come to to Eretz Yisrael, and they came to Rav Shach. Rav Shach said, "The only person I know who I think could could develop a pshara between over here between the tzaddim is Rav Nisim Karelitz." And that's how he began with this case in Chutzlaritz. The Bezdin started dealing with, with Gitin as well. It must have been in the 70s or 80s, but that's when the Bezdin started dealing with Gitin. And um, from that time on, um, the uh, Rav Nisim started his home, started to be a place sometimes where children ended up staying because many times when people would come for a get, they'd realize that there was issues of child custody, of child that weren't being supported, uh, Rav Nisim's family is made, and uh, as they remember, in the 60s and 70s, and, and, and even earlier, of, of children that were staying there, children who were coming from, uh, who, had, who had been brought there um, because of the, the Dine Torah, uh, that Rav Nisim comprehended that there was no place for the children to stay, that their father wasn't giving any money, and that those cases are, are legion. You can find them in the Rabbanuts Psalkim all over the place. But over here, you actually have a pose, Kadayan, who, when he heard the situation, without ruling one way or the other, would actually make sure that the children were taken care of and would actually take the children in himself very, very often. So once again, you're really, again, I, even if I don't say any Torah from him, which I'm going to say right now, you'll see. I want to share with you one thing. I said in, I'm going to do something you wouldn't expect. And this is from the Chutzani, and, and I hope you'll stay for it because I think it's, it's, it's very geschmack. One of the things that we always, and I love the way Rav Nisim answers this question. It's so sharp and so beautiful. Here's the Shiloh. I'm just going to go straight to the Shiloh. Let's see, it's right over here. It's right here on the left. And I hope you can see it. Maybe I can make it a little larger. I go with Command Plus. There we go. Okay, let's imagine you're a person who davens. Right? So I'm davening Shmuel. Let's imagine. I'm going to be the Shoyo. So I'm davening. David has finished his Shemayna Esrei. It says in Shulchan Aruch, if you know there's somebody behind you who hasn't finished, David can't take his three steps back. There's people, let's say, David, let's say you're one of these people. You're waiting, you're waiting, right? Keep on looking back, you keep on looking back, keep on turning your head. And I've got, I'm davening, but I, but I sense the fact that you keep on looking back at me. And sometimes they keep on looking back and back and sending me a message, and I'm trying to daven. Maybe since I notice this is going on, do I have the right to maybe walk someplace else, even though in the middle of Shemineser you're not supposed to leave your stance, you're supposed to stand like a malach. But over here it's like this hafra is occurring, these people in front of me who, who are getting nervous that I haven't finished Shemineser and they want to walk back. Maybe I have a hand to just move. 
Or maybe I can say to them, we're Muslim Messiah. Okay, go, go, go ready, go ready. And this way, okay, well, just do it, okay, you're going to be here, but at least let me daven. He says the guy asked Rav Nisim, it's mutter if there's a rash. Let's say there's a tremendous noise outside. Who knows, right? Some big five-alarm fire in Newark and everything, and you hear everything is going on, and the windows are open, and, and you can't have kavana. Don't you have a right to go and close the window? So here too, what's happening here is so distracting to the person davening, he should be able at least to move or tell the person to just go, go do it already. So first, from Nisim said for like this. First of all, you're wrong about that. The fact that you have noise doesn't mean that you have a right to go close the window and leave your Shmon Esrei stance. It's got to be such a rash godel that there's no way you can have kavana. But normally, just work at it. Kavana is something you got to work at. Definitely, if the thing that's bothering you is that there's someone looking at you because he wants to see if you're finished, he says, just don't worry about it. Well, Yasim And you know what? He says, if you really work on Kavana, you can, you can block that out. But Alkin, he says, also, he can't go anywhere else. And therefore, the guy in front of you can't, can't do it either. He can't go back. But he says, you know what? I think there's a more essential question. Just wait, you're going to like this. There's an essential point. You, you know you daven long. Why did you, why did you go behind the person in, in a way where you're being mitzar them? You should realize, I daven long. I need to go stand by a wall. I need to be in a place where I'm, I'm out, I'm out of the way. Right? You know, and you understand the, the, the minion that you're davening at, and you know that those people don't daven as long as you. Why do you, why did you put yourself in a place where you're gonna be my, it's gonna be a problem? Oh, I have another Eitzer, Nisim said. If you know you're in such a place, I know you want to daven along Shmon but sometimes you, you don't daven along Shmon The Gemara says about Rabbi Akiva, that when he was in the Tzibur, he was Makatzer, because of Teirach HaTzibur. So he says this is definitely a Teirach HaTzibur as well. When he was, when he was Be'echidus, he did such gesticulation, Kavanas, you'd find him in a different place. And he brought a ride to this from the Yerushalmi. This is brilliant. This, this ride from the Yerushalmi is tremendous. He says, the Yerushalmi says in Brochus the following, Rav Kahana was davening behind Rav Chia. And Rav Chia had finished the Shemayin right? and he was standing there, even though he was one of the, he was the God of Ador, but he didn't want to, Rav Kahana was behind him, because Rav Kahana was davening so long. So, people went to Rav Kahana afterwards and said, did you see what you were doing? You davened so long, you forced Rav Chia to stand there, he couldn't come back. He's one of the G'dayle Ador. Surf Khanna said, look, I'm a descendant of Beis Eili. And we know, what does it say? What did the Novi say? What did the Novi say to, to Eili? That Beis Eili are going to die when they're young. They're going to die as young men. Korbanos aren't going to help. So Chazal have a They're not going to be able to bring Korbanos. But if they daven... If they mispal to the Rebbeinu Shalom, then they could take off the Gzeira. So therefore, Rav Kana, who was a Kayan from Beis Eili, so therefore, felt he needed to daven. So when they told Rav Chia, Rav Chia said, look, I'll take care of the davening. So Rav Chia davened for Rav Kana, and with Rav Chia's tefillah, not Rav Kana's own tefillah for himself, with Rav Chia's tefillah, 
It was Zoichet Rav Kana was Mairach Yomim up to the point they said that uh, it said, I don't know what this means exactly. In other words, I guess not only did he have a long life, but he had a long, healthy life. That his fingers were as as fresh as a baby's. You know, sometimes when you look at an older person, you look at their extremities, you can see that's where you know Nebuch that, that the Grim Reaper is on the way. But the uh, but he was Mairach Yomim and in a healthy Arichas Yomim. So look at this brilliant Chap that Rav Nisim said. B'nei Eili, it's a matzah pikuach nevesh. Because your, your mom is davening for your life. But you, you can't, it's oser with saras hacherim barochas tvilosam. I don't know if you were surprised at that psaq. When I read it, I, I was. Because normally you would think, right, that uh, everybody should daven b'kabonah. The guy in front of you is the yatz. He's the person who should stop doing that. Whereas, again, you see the, the, the uh, humanity of Rav Nisim. And also, you see, as you see, no, he doesn't brook any, you know, any sort of like frumkite here. He's saying, look, <laughs> if a person knows he davens long, he has two options. Anyway, I thought this was a, uh, um, a, a psak that I think reflects him. If, if you want to stay, I've got one more psak from him that I think is, is also important. Um, and it's going to, let me see how many minutes, I don't want to go over. It's going to take about five minutes. So you might have to go for the four, but here's the other psak from from Reb Nissen. I'll tell you a cute one that took that takes one minute, and then I'll tell you another psak. Reb Nissen used to spend um, in his seder ayoyim a couple of hours a day, about two and a half hours a day, especially as he got older and the other gedolim weren't around, to answer shilas that would come in personal questions. Here's a great shila that came up. People would come with questions and. And, and Rav Nissim said, "Everybody is has to, you have to let everybody in. We, we don't have a, a, a watchman at the door. Everybody has a right to come in and ask Shilas. So the Shilas came in. The six guys came in. It was right after Purim, and they had a little tipsy, and they were maybe collecting money or who knows what. They were buying an apartment building, and um, the six of them got into the into the elevator, and when they pushed the button." Uh, to go up, the elevator started and then broke. The elevator got stuck. It said clearly in the elevator, right, that it was only it can only fit a certain weight of four people. The elevator was too was too small. So they came. So the the the, the owner of the building uh, came to these guys and told them, "Look, we're going to fix this elevator, but you guys are going to pay for it." So they came to Revnison. And to decide who who should pay. So Rav Nisim knew these were B'nai Tayra. He turned to them and says, what do you think? <laughs> you go to Yeshiva, what do you think? So one of them spoke up and said, well, probably uh, the two guys who came in last. In other words, the first four are the right. The other two that packed in, the, it says you're not only the four, those other two guys, the two guys who came in last are the ones that have to pay. So Rav Nisim says, okay, so those, it was those two guys that caused the elevator to break just by going into the elevator? Is that what made the elevator break? It didn't break when those two guys came in. I said, no. But when the elevator started to move up and with its ropes, then it, it, there was too much weight. Aha. So who has to pay then? Who's the one that is the problem? And the one kid said, the, the one that pushed the button? Exactly. 
<laughs> the one that pushed the button is the one who was the problem. You guys all went in there, but the one that pushed the button was the one that caused the hesic. Anyway, that I thought just a, that's just again clear thinking and and getting the person to think about it as well. Interesting to see how he weighs in. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go up one more flight and and and, and to one last thing. Um, the um, this is halacha that um, this halacha that that's important in Hilchas Nida, and I'm just going to spend a couple minutes on it. Um, there's halacha about here it is. And it's two, two places in Shulchan Aruch. It's a beautiful outlaw for those that think that, that the, the, the level of relation between then husband and wife in halacha is very gruff and like, you know, uh, uh, not caring. Look at this halacha. The halacha in, in, in your day says, if a person knows he has to leave um, for a certain trip, Ayurvan, I believe also, that a person needs to spend time and have relations with his wife. I feel some chlevesta. In other words, normally, there's a harchok if a woman has a certain time that she's expecting her period to happen. So, the time, the, the, the time of her period actually, that 12 hour period, is usher. But we have a, a, a inyan of, of, of even adding to the, to the 12 hours before that. That's the oina some chlevest, it's called. However, so normally the oina samach levest, you should stay away. I mean, uh, from having relations with your wife, there's a shy whether she checks herself if she's all right. But generally, oina samach levest, there's an iser of having relations during the twelve month during the twelve hour period where you expect it based on her history. It's definitely also. But even the oina samach levest, however, that is lifted if you need to go away. If you need to go away. Then that harchaka is pushed off because of the emotional needs of the woman. And if you take a look at Shulchan Aruch, says that based on the halacha of of, of, of many rishonim, I feel batash mishari that it's even allowed to have relations. However, the post can say to be machmir. Maybe you could hug her, kiss her, talk to her. Maybe you shouldn't have relations. But again, make her adindo. There's enough post come out that say you can mamish have relations. Um, what's interesting is that um, that this is um, only if it's not Ladvar mitzvah. Okay. But here's an interesting question that come that Reb, that Reb Nisim Karelitz dealt with. Um, what about if she has to leave? In other words, the, the, the way Chazal were looking at it is the man earns the money. The man is the one that, that goes away. So therefore, we're telling him, don't forget that you need to spend time with your wife. And of course, it doesn't just mean have relations with her. It means the whole nine yards. Make it a romantic time. That, right, that's what she expects. What about if she's leaving? What about if she's going to be away? So, would would would, would this halacha of samach levest be pushed away in the same way? So he says, he says you could say You could say, well, she's going to leave. If it's about, I'm going to miss you. I'm not going to be around. So the same idea is there. The idea being, she desires it so much, and you don't want her to be in pain. 
That's the idea of why the din the Rabbanan is pushed away. Because the woman is desirous. So Lachari, you could say, if she's going away, she's going to miss you. She's, she's got the business suit on, right? She's the one who's going and, right? She's like Terry Gar, you know, and, 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 and Mr. Mom, right? She's the one who's going out. You remember, you know what I'm talking about. So she's the one who has to go out and earn the living and leaves Michael Keaton at home, right? So maybe at that point, <laughs> you never heard that type of chibur together, right? But at that point, maybe it's, maybe she, you have a hat there. She's leaving. Omnam ze'enoi. Why? Reb Nissim says, It's true. They are apart. And since they're apart, you have a desire for to see the other person. And it's also true. Ona is all about her desire. If you see, for example, that she's sort of joking with you differently, making a cutesy sort of uh, talking to you, when you sense, in the, any way husbands and wives sense that your wife wants it, although she's afraid to say it, right? That you should realize that this is a time, it's called the mitzvah's ono. That's the mitzvah ono. It's really opposite. It's not about whenever there's, you feel bad and you're going to be away. That's not the point of the halacha, Rav Nisim says. The halacha is like this. You are, 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 are getting ready for a trip. You're ready for a trip. For you, what's on your mind? The job. You gotta go. You gotta, right? You gotta catch the plane. The man really doesn't have the desire. He's really busy. So therefore, the chiddush here is that even though you don't have a proclivity to do it, you should be involved and realize that she's going to miss you, and the fact that you're gone makes her miss you more, and she's going to want to decide to just know where you're going to be. <laughs> but if she's the one who's the businesswoman, she's the one that's going out, that's not what this halach is about. In other words, that's the pshat in the Gemara. That even though normally, okay, come on, we don't have time for this, I gotta get ready, I gotta get a night's sleep, whatever, still you need to realize, so when she is the Yitzhah Lederech, so we don't expect her to have that chuka. What? This isn't. To stop, that's right. Right. So therefore, if she's the one that's going out, then she's the one that's busy. So since she's busy, so you don't have to worry. The whole point is is to, to respond to the person whose busyness is stopping him from thinking romantically. That's the whole point of the salocha. But when the shoe's on the other foot, when she's the one that's going, then she's got so much. So, so therefore, the din the rabbanan doesn't get pushed out, despite the fact that she might feel bad in some way of thinking about it. But the chuka is really the chuka versus the one that's leaving. So again, I think both of these psakim are, are really a, a revelation. You know, you think about B'nai Brak, you think about people that really don't understand, like, you know, that, 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 that it's almost like a, a box, of, uh, and, and all halacha needs to fit into this box of human nature. You know, and human nature needs to be bent, uh, needs to bend in the force of halacha. I think you see that what we lost here with Reb Nisim, I think what you see here, at least I think these are two reflective of things, that of, 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 of a real, uh, not only an un of, 
as he was, a person who who was uh, very much a, a, a shaskin. They say that uh, that and we'll end with this that the um, that uh, his his father-in-law, uh, when he came to the Chazanish and said, you know, before the before the marriage, he said he's so quiet, he hardly talks. So the Chazanish said, look, that's that's a little bit of this family. This family doesn't talk so much, but I can tell you, you might not you might not hear much now, but you're going to hear a lot from him in the years to come. You're going to hear a tremendous amount. And someone who was Miyasid, the Rosh Kailu Chazanish, for so many years, Miyasid of Bezdin, um, the world, and, and, and through his heart attack and his, 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 his devotion to writing this farm, the world will Hashem, hear from him and hear his Shmuas and his Psalkim. And hopefully you can makabu them in, in a way that we can react this way as well to make halacha really relevant and real and, and, and appealing um, in a way that's, that, that, that really treats everyone with a certain dignity and love and respect. Thanks. A way that's, that, that, that really treats everyone with a certain...